Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined by Olivia Lilly. Woo! Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. What's your day been like? Um, I got up, did some uh, pop magic work, and I went and got groceries. Nice. And then I came here. <laughs> cool. What was your grocery haul? Um, it was like basically our entire fridge was empty. Yeah. It had gotten down where we didn't even have pasta left. And oh, I God. had to like, and, and Jake was like, I have to do some work. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take one for the team. I'm just going to go. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, we have a car. So I drove to Trader Joe's and I just loaded up mm. everything nice. we need. Trader Joe's is the move. Yeah. We just, well, they have like good $2 uh, scented balsam candles and stuff there. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was... There, I we had like an extra whatever forty dollars lying around and just bought bullshit at Trader Joe's and it was like the <laughs> best wintertime experience because they have the like cinnamon brooms. We didn't get the cinnamon. We broom. did not get a f- at the end at by the end. Daniel was like, "Should we get a cinnamon broom?" And I was like, "No, the cats will just eat it." Yeah. Like what? It what even is a cinnamon broom? I feel like um, the Trader Joe's is sort of like our generation's like uh, the, the the yuppie food and the like sort of our uh, like bourgeoisie like for all our dinner parties with other oh, yeah. people that shop at Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god. No, well, it's it's uh, it's millennials version of like pate. I think, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think a- after Amazon bought Whole Foods, Trader Joe's like public, like public opinion stock must have went up. You know what I mean by yeah. that? Like, because I, you know, we still buy a few things from Whole Foods, but like I think across the board, probably people shop there less. I don't know. Actually. I don't know that that's true. Because yeah, it's gotten know. a little cheaper now. Yeah. They anyway. All right. Um, let's talk about. So you are here. You have so many projects coming up, and you're currently in the middle of what what we just caught. Well, not just. It's been like. Y'all have been doing what? Well, how long has the run been so far? Um, of, um, it opened Shana? October twenty seventh, and it's closing December thirtieth. So it, there's like two more weekends, but there's no shows next weekend. Yeah, thank God. I, I love. Has that is that not normal for the theater scene? The, like that a two long month, of a run, two month run, almost three. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty unusual. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it like. It's like there's no excuse for you not to see it. That's what I I shared (laughs) it. I was like, there is absolutely no reason that you can't see this. Like, yes, it's at 10 p.m., but it's like you can find a time to do it. All of our extension shows are at 8 p.m. Oh, that's right. (laughs) And it's an hour. Yeah, the show is one hour long. Thoughtful as fuck, Olivia Lilly. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's all because of uh, Stefan Brun and the Prop Theater. Mm-hmm. I uh, we we sat down this summer and we're like this is the run and then we're like this is the extension and if it extends then it will just run this long and yeah cool and they, and they were like cool yeah nice and we did it <laughs> I, or we're doing it it's not closed yet yeah <laughs> um I like the I don't know I, I the prop theater for me since I've moved to Chicago has just bitten where I have gone and seen theater that I never thought I would ever see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we went there, we went, um, Daniel and I went there, like, three months after I moved here, and, um... To see Sumeda's song. Which, which is, is an opera. Third Eye Theater, Third oh, Eye yes. Theater yeah. does a lot, does all of their shows out of Prop Theater? It's a, it's, I don't know why it is that I don't know as much as I should about, Yeah, we like, should at some point talk to Third Eye, right? 
We have. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we have. Um, 180 episodes. We've definitely talked to Third Eye. That's right. We did. At some point in in Sarah Shadow's run, we did get to run with a Third Eye show in the front and also at the same time a like really depressing Brecht play. That was cool but and like really epic but also like really depressing Mm -hmm. and I think the Third Eye like show was also like extremely dark and sad and I would like start setting up my box office right as the two of those would come out Mm -hmm. and I would just see this like dreary sea of people like like, do you want to see another show? No, I, yeah. I have to. I have to think. I have yeah. to like I'm doing a bad. I can't. Yeah. And it was, and then suddenly, like those shows closed, and then tick tick boom, it came and just like very like it's like an hour and fifteen minutes, and it's just like it's it's happy, it's fun, and people were like, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. And it was. Have just, you gotten a lot yeah. of tick tick boom traffic? Um. Yeah, I'd say so. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, well, yeah, I. No, you go ahead. No, I was just gonna bullshit. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that I, you know, it's it's interesting now because the last time we had you on the podcast was before to talk about In Sarah's Shadow mm-hmm. and seeing it. Like, you know, I we we were prepared to some extent, but like what I think I told you after I was like, you're like theaters Hemingway with the way that you told that story and told emotion and you know it's something that we talked a lot about recently we were talking about which I, I also am very curious to hear about your um, opera experience because I know you just recently saw an opera the oh, yeah. Turandot Turandot yeah, yeah um, we were just talking about anyway um, but what we were also talking about as far as in relation to opera was um, the idea of you know, we were talking about this with uh, Marissa from when talking about their drag opera show. The idea of opera being this, um, uh, like, expansive, emotive, deeply emotive experience, and just kind of like display of of the of the range of human and emotion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that through dance you've accomplished. You know, and because like there are, it's like a there are like structural parts to that that you need the like breath of emotion the the ability to express a breath of emotion that you get in opera from singing but you've that you've done in dancing and on top of that it's an hour long show when i was a teenager i wanted to be an opera composer really yeah. oh yeah 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 yes yes <laughs> so yes. yeah i i feel like uh theater is best when all of the art forms are like uh on display rather than just like uh words yeah. I love words, but I also love music and I love like movement and dance and. Because you went to like Interlochen <clears throat> for com- composition. I did, yeah. I went to Interlochen Arts Academy for music composition. That's so cool. In which I wrote lots of musicals. Cool. And lots of really, really epic librettos that people were like, you're 18 and you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you doing that? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I guess that. I, I think that segues nicely into what we're here to talk about today yeah um is that pop magic is looking to produce a devised musical so we're gonna do a workshop okay uh first okay um so our big next project is i um i'm going to set out to create a devised musical um uh at which will uh be in workshop from march through may and the idea is that i will cast a group of like eight to ten performers who will then work with me um to choose the stories that we tell 
mm-hmm. in this musical. It will. Uh, one thing I do know is that it will be set in Chicago now, and it one story will take and it will inter- intertwine four stories. <laughs> one will take place on the north side. One will take place on the south side. One will take place on the west side, and one will take place on the lake. Okay. So there's no east side in Chicago. No, just the lake. Someone informed me of that, and I was like, okay, here you're right. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> fuck with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the the other half of the concept is that the the casts that we c- select will create the score together. That's so cool. So like it's it's sort of like testing the the boundaries of like how much power can you put in the hands of the performers to create yeah. the show that they're creating. I'm I'm going to like write the libretto, but probably with the assistance of some of the performers or however we want to negotiate that relationship, but. I really want to put the the job of the score and how they express themselves on the the performers and me as director have to lead that and figure out what that is. So then how so four different stories from four different parts of the city are are you in consideration of casting going to be looking for people who live in those parts of the city yes yes and i'm working with a casting director um a freelance casting director named Catherine miller um so we're trying to find people from all over we really want this to be obviously a super diverse right show and like if in terms of like the music people make like i want everything from noise musicians to rappers to uh like classical pianists to like musical theater to like Mm -hmm. whatever that's so cool (laughs) like because it should sound it needs to sound like the city too and because there's more than one storyline those storylines can sound different Mm-hmm. like yeah. they'll be intertwined somehow but like in terms of like what the thematic material like maybe all four stories have similar thematic like themes but are like totally taken in different directions by different styles mm-hmm. i don't know but it's fun because it's good i get to bring <laughs> my music composition training back to my directing work in this way where i'm like looking for all of the uh looking for those pieces in other people's work which so this is the thing i feel like i need to apologize to you because i forgot about that and i think that to me is a testament to how good of a theater mind you are and so now i'm very interested in as someone who has that very specific you know i I think that classical musicians would call it uh educated and, and in a in a way that can that 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 is a divide that we have to manage all of the time. Mm-hmm. We think about a lot. And so a lot of times I find myself compartmentalizing folks but by that line. Not because but because when you when you're interviewing folks across different groups and stuff like that, you you have to be at least aware of those lines. But it's not often that we talk to someone that has a, that level of understanding for both of those things. And I know that a lot of our listeners come from that mindset as well, but I'm now curious, like, f- what about your experience, that that musical composition, like, what, so what parts of, coming back to that musical composition experience, like, what part of that experience are you most looking forward to, like, 
exercising, if that makes sense. Well, I would say, like, the things that I hated about music school were, like, the pretentiousness, the obsession with, like, the department's... The department's obsession with, like, 20th century... Yeah. Like, uh, atonalism. Second Viennese school, like, serialism. and, And sort of even conceptual art. And... Uh, they called me Three Chord Broadway at Interlochen. Um, mm. And all of the, it's funny because a lot of the actual like players in the orchestra liked me because I actually wrote melodies. Yes. You know, and so I always felt like I was the like just raw talent person compared to all these people that would like be on AIM instant messenger texting me chord progressions and like mm-hmm. saying theoretical things about them and me being like, I like Sweeney Todd and then being like eviscerating Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't. Okay. Um, but I did like the things that like stuck with me were um, uh, the idea of like, like taking very simple like themes and breaking them down and expounding upon like very little thematic material. And that's something that, that is a, that I learned and I can apply to basically everything I do. Writing, mm-hmm. like structure in writing, um, in directing, like not not over, like choosing a certain certain amounts of exercises for my my directing process and expounding upon those ideas like they are themes, mm-hmm. um, rather than like introducing a ton of thematic material and like the actors not being able to know, mm-hmm. like quite find a handle on the process because there's just so many mat- so much thematic material. Um, so uh, like it'll be really interesting to see. Um, Because, like, at callbacks, I'm going to put people together and force them to write songs in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Or at least, like, a refrain and stuff. And that'll be interesting also, like, can two people who are paired together in, like, an audition setting, like, listen to each other enough to make something good together? I mean, (laughs) like, and and what, what kind of a space and environment do you want to be cultivating, you know? Like, how... That's that's at least my if I were if, mm-hmm. if I were in your position that's like the first thing I'd be thinking of was like how hard of a of an audition authority are you wanting to be you know what well, I mean well I want that? people to feel like uh, that they uh, can fail right and that they uh, have have each other's back when they run out of an idea of ideas and uh, I I want them I I also like something I love to do is get, make people create things in l- too little of a time so they can't overthink what they're doing for sure. Um, so getting those, getting everyone out of their heads and like forcing them to work with people that they never thought they would be working with. Mm-hmm. And then like sort of, I kind of want to like go up against the, the complicated, like the differences between everyone mm-hmm. by like, well, we have to choose us. We have to choose some stories and we have to figure out how to tell those stories. And I want to have those difficult conversations Yeah, that will lead to us like telling the stories authentically for sure well and especially since you're segmenting them into different parts of the city because you know each part of the city has such like a deeply layered and complicated and segregated background Mm -hmm. i mean like the origin of the culture of all of these um of all of these neighborhoods comes from racist lenders you know, yeah. people, you know, a Chinese family comes to the bank and they say, I'll only lend you this money if you, you know, buy in this neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And and some of it's by some of it that was like as far as like how the neighborhoods got into their, that place was by choice. But a lot of it, especially in the because um, that was what like a case, the case for reparations was about the ta Coates article. Yeah. Was a, a good deal of it was about um, 
Am I getting that mixed? Anyway, I'm sorry. I guess I'm, I'm also hoping that uh, through our ensemble, we find some true stories that either happen to them or happen to someone they know mm-hmm. that we're then like trying to figure out how to render and like how to how to tell, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it ends up that the, the workshop delivers two out of four stories, that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an interesting. So I, I caught... Uh, an, an immersive theater thing at the Goodman, and it was interesting thing to see. They did they put it in a post office. Oh yeah, and then they did this whole thing where it was just about putting together as many different perspectives as possible. But it was interesting because then you had that thing where you you go, well, wait, how many stories actually are there? Where is the the focus, and at, at what point does uh too many stories become too heavy of a load, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm, uh, like, if this becomes one play or if it becomes four yeah, m- right. musicals, right. that's okay, too. Exactly, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I'm going to put a lot in, the, in the, the ether with this because we don't have the deadline of production, but we have three months so we can, like, dig in and make something. Um, but I'm going to go with the flow of what the group and um, and me think we can do well Mm -hmm. and i think that thinking of it as a musical versus an opera is also helpful because Mm -hmm. musicals there is dialogue in there yeah there are segues that you can do there are you know storylines that you can tie up with dialogue not that writing dialogue is easy but it's you know when you're not having to set it to a tune it's also kind of a breath of fresh air i would imagine mm-hmm. yeah and i it'll be really interesting because one of my favorite things ever is like a libretto and like i feel like in sarah's shadow was it is a dance musical but mm-hmm. i thought of that script as a libretto mm. um which was like strips all trying to earn all of those dance moments mm-hmm. um so this will be really interesting because i love stretching those muscles yeah of like well why where is the moment when uh dialogue isn't enough and we have to sing like that's what mm-hmm. i'm gonna be looking for with everybody but it'll be great i love talking about that out loud with people and yeah. i don't necessarily nearly get to do it enough because i don't often do musical theater yeah wow yeah, yeah. i think that you know it's interesting thinking of musicals in that way of like when dialogue isn't enough because i think that in the two extremes that you have which is like straight theater and then opera where either everything is spoken or everything is sung mm-hmm. um in terms of intensity, you have, I mean, you, you can obviously tell intense stories, but in terms of, like, tone, like, I guess color of tone, it, it's, it, it kind of, it can become a wash because everything is, I mean, if it's spoken, then you can, like, shout. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it's sung, you can sing louder or the orchestration can change underneath you and it can be, you know, more densely orchestrated. But in a sense of like, I, I feel like in a musical, there is more variety of color in terms of how something can be said, which is, which I think is an interesting Well, the, I think the rules are less internalized, if that makes sense. I don't I don't know and I, I you know I always have a hard time because I feel like at a certain point 
um, you know, 300 years from now when, when people are, music historians are looking back at the American musical tradition of this century. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there, the line with which we've painted the difference between musicals and opera are going to be as uh, thick. Yeah, because you know? I feel like a lot of the 20th century musical theater erupted out of vaudeville yeah. and started with that. Um, and that was so in- influenced by what uh, folks were doing in opera right before it, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. t- from from vaudeville, a lot with jazz, and then a lot of jazz influenced by classical composers, which, you know... I feel like this is a perfect segue into Turindo, because Turindo yeah. <laughs> is like this pre... It feels like an action movie. Like, it feels mm. like it has the score of a... Fi- of like, like, the epic film score of like um like a martin scorsese movie or something Mm -hmm. um and it's like it's it's an awesome story and it's like almost feminist but then it's like not at the end and the director of the production actually like in his note is like okay so this part is not okay yeah like he is like he calls it out and he's like we did everything we could to try and like but also like Puccini technically died before he got to write that scene that is problematic. Mm-hmm. So that was like in the libretto, but he had never finished it. Like he died when when after he wrote Leo's funeral march music. Yeah, which yeah. is the saddest thing ever. But like, <laughs> so then the sec- the like last half of the opera, like like the last quarter, just feels like some like amateur guy. Yeah, just like put a bunch of notes together. Yeah, and try to tie it up. That's the hardest thing. So I, um, one of the things that I've studied is musicology, and I've, I worked for a little while on the Rossini Critical Edition. Cool. And just, I, I'm not going to comment so much on that experience particularly, but about the experience of being people that are looking back at it now and trying to say, like, here is all the rules that Rossini put in place. Like, yes, there are clear things but some of them are just he sent a piece of music to someone as a gift on a whim and so like he wasn't thinking he didn't write the perfect cadenza for all time that this is how those notes this is how these notes need to be sung every time or else it's not Rossini yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. and, I, and I, I there's a lot of that with with um, Puccini too especially there's a lot of that with any composer with their the, like Mozart's Requiem yeah, I yeah. didn't even write half the fucking thing. No, so it's like I, I was in a I I was singing uh, a Mozart Requiem where we got to the conductor decided to when we got to the point of the piece that Mozart stopped writing like the moment that he stopped at we paused, which was cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was in, it was in the middle of the Lacrimosa. Yeah, I'm not, so I'm, my point being, I haven't seen it. I, I really want to. I, w- I might go. My birthday's on Sunday, so I might try and go on Sunday. But um, I don't know to if it's too late up. to do that. Yeah, but anyway, but I, it's it's refreshing to me to hear that that's something that the lyric is doing. You yeah. know, because um, they don't have to do that. You know, the people that the majority of the folks that go to the lyric aren't there for that necessarily. Like maybe they are. I I, I don't know. I don't want to like generalize that intensely, but. You know, I think that people would still go. I I don't know actually. I wonder how much, be uh, um, acknowledging that uh, like sexism in in Puccini's work, or 
sorry, you know what I mean though. But in in this turn dot score period, turn score period. Well, it's amazing. Like that, Turendo's first big speech is like how this uh, ancestor of hers was like raped and murdered by um, by males. So she is refusing to marry anyone unless they answer these three three riddles. So that mm-hmm. and making these three riddles almost nearly impossible. So that all these men will be murdered for the justification, like to avenge this woman's like rape and murder, mm. which is so awesome mm-hmm. and like uh, we were watching and we were like yeah <laughs> but then it's like the way that these characters all sort of make her feel bad for for making that sort of political statement mm-hmm. and how the narrative is sort of like the melting of the ice queen mm. that's where it kind of goes wrong like I, like actually Calif, the guy who is trying to win her heart by answering these whole <laughs> win yeah, yeah, yeah. To, he 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 does like as f after he answers the three riddles, he is like, well, let me give you a like a riddle, and if if you get this right, then I will like you don't have to marry me, and you can kill, and they can kill me, mm-hmm. you know, and like so he he does, uh, and eventually he does really like she like put it in her hands as a choice, but there's like this kiss thing that's like that's the like that's the issue like there's like some forced sexual Mm -hmm. thing that's supposed to then like melt her heart of ice Mm -hmm. when really it should be that he like like the the fact that she he like the entire world is not giving her freedom and this one person like gives her that freedom Mm mm-hmm and then she chooses to exercise the will and exercise what she wants yeah and it I mean, it's Sorry, really... I've spoiled the plot. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. I think it's it's interesting, though, because, like, Puccini, for classical music folks, has such a reputation of... At the time, people thought he was, like, too uh, in the vernacular. You know what I mean? Like, he was too... It was too real. And But then you have things like, like Turandot, and, and I'm thinking of, um... Like, Butterfly, where they're... Madam Butterfly, where they're like such expansions of what the human experience is, and and you know I don't know I expansions of what the human ex- like like suspending reality. Well, so like I the when you when someone says like I'm ki- kind of in a way because like in Puccini's limited Italian experience, like he doesn't know the nuances of. Chinese or Japanese culture well enough to really put a nail on what it is that that what that cultural experience. Oh yeah, is. I mean the Orientalism. Let's, right, 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 right. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh. well, like yeah, like Ping. What I actually honestly forgot the names of the Ping. Isn't it like Ping Pang and Pong or something? Yeah. Like what is that? Like, and and um, but that's not to say that the music itself isn't gorgeous or that the ideas there aren't relatable. I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting, that's, I guess my thing is like, that's the thing that Puccini is most lauded for now is the, the relatability, but it's like, like the realism of the story. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, like, not... If you, like, look at it, you're like, this is not real. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> or this is, like, just uh, showing all of the terrible sides of, like, 19th century thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, that's it. It's a, it feels almost like uh, like when I saw that production, I was like, oh, this is probably how Sarah Bernhardt might have performed. Mm. Like in, it was a very mm-hmm. it's so it felt so nineteenth century, and like the director had directed the opera singers to so mostly sing out. Yeah. Um, sometimes they looked at each other, but it was mostly out and. Um, but then having that like almost Hollywood movie score, it's like this really weird like it's trapped between the past and the future mm-hmm. of well, in its moment yeah. that it was created because it was written in like 1920 1924 and mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like a really interesting time capsule. I mean, that was the thing after uh, we saw in Sarah's Shadow. I said to Maureen, I was like, "Is this who Mimi was based on in Bohem?" The because like. And it'd, it'd be interesting to me because I don't know the source material that well, mm-hmm. the whatever the the Bohemian the original, um, but like, and I, I mean I think TB was pretty popular back then. Tuberculosis was so popular. Oh, like it was very well. I think Labo M. I don't think it. I because Labo M was written like when uh, Eleanor Duza was probably like a teenager. Mm-hmm. So and Eleanor kept it a secret until she was like an old woman. Oh. That she had TB, but yeah. it was definitely like a like it was a problem, right? That was coming out of because like right where her mother dies of tuberculosis in the story is like right around where La Boheme was written. Mm. Ah, but and that was in Italy, <laughs> yeah. Right, that's right. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel that hard of it. I mean, Italy's a big country, but like, yeah. <laughs> but it's but still, it's like that was probably a huge problem. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah and it there are things that we still like. It's almost like. Rent is almost less. Well, it was because it was AIDS. Right? I haven't actually. I've seen Rent once. Yeah, Rent is AIDS. Rent is AIDS. Yeah, that was the update. <laughs> I remember now. Sorry, team. Anyway, I feel like as a journalist and as an artistic journalist, you should probably engage in in Rent. I've definitely <laughs> I and I didn't dislike Rent. I just was never really a big like musicals person hmm. which is unfair well i think i think the biggest difference between like musicals and opera is that opera sort of wallows in, char- in character situations yeah so it's full extent like the like i kind of specifically think of like in Turindo, right before he's about to hit the gong which when he does the gong if he he's initiating going i need to answer these three riddles and if he doesn't answer the three riddles or he he gets one wrong he gets beheaded like the next day yeah so him and uh like he's about to do it and then ping ping or whatever is they come in and they're like trying to scare him and all all the ways they can out of hitting the gong and then leo his like this slave girl that's like in love with him mm-hmm. and his father are like don't do it but they do it it's like a 20 minute scene where yeah. everyone is just like feeling the feelings of like what if what if this guy does it oh my mm-hmm. god and then like of course the the scene ends with him like hitting the gun mm-hmm. um but in like musicals often like in the dialogue like or especially in rent um the the music is not the the lyrics are just like kind of forwarding the story they're not really like wallowing in the emotion like i mean mm-hmm. maybe like tango maureen in rent but yeah but i feel like a mm-hmm. lot of the times like the way that recitative is used in musicals is like more like dialogue yeah than like in opera where it's like an interior like pouring out of your soul <laughs> yeah yeah, that makes that's that is very true. Well, and that's actually a complaint that my mom has with opera is she doesn't like it when operas wallow like that. Like if she if she had seen Turandot, 
the scene, the gong scene would have driven her absolutely insane. She'd be like, when then something should happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she, she would just be like, hit the gong. Just hit it. Hit it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all know you will. Just do it. That is super. Yeah. And I mean, because it also, like, opera comes so much out of, like, the art song tradition, which is, which can be so entirely just, like, about the development of emotion more so than, like, actually telling a story. Like a so Shakespearean soliloquy. Mm-hmm. Mm, that is, mm-hmm. I think, pretty comparable. Yeah, for sure. The art song and the soliloquy. Mm-hmm. So you don't really... Because you're, yeah. you're removing yourself from it the sol- with the soliloquy. And art song stands on its own. Yeah. That's actually a super interesting comparison. I always found, um, like, learning about different you know, the difference between monologues and soliloquies, like, and and marking that distinction, I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I've always liked about, like, theater craft, in that, like, there is a noticeable difference between, like, okay, in this moment, the people around this person are hearing him or her, and in this moment, they are, they are not. And it's just like, I don't know, I just think that's cool. And then, I mean, then there's that weird, that middle ground of the speech. Yeah. Where, like, someone could be addressing a big crowd, but they're also standing alone. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's also a Shakespearean thing. And that, that appears more in musicals, too, I think. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, I don't, I don't really see that many introspective. Like in yeah. Yeah, definitely in Avita. I'm thinking now of um, Clemenza di Tito. Which definitely has like a couple because he's like the emperor, but that they go through those pretty quick. I think I'm trying to think of what what the speech scene is in that. I remember there is one, but I don't remember what it's in about. In Turindo? No, no, I'm sorry. In this Mozart opera called oh, Clemenza di Tito. I just saw it recently. I forgot who did it. Anyway, I don't know. You saw Clemenza di Tito? Oh, um, Chicago Summer Opera. Yeah. Yes. I think um, something that I discovered that I've discovered in the past is in the musical theater world is that. There's definitely, like, a... When something doesn't, like, adhere to a certain kind of, like, uh, style or potential commercialization, they dub it music theater. Mm. And it's just basically for them to, like, slap a label on something they don't understand. Yeah. (laughs) There is a lot of that, though. And it's, um... You know, it's... So, like, uh, let's take, for example, and I don't mean to keep, I don't know why I keep circling back to In Sarah's Shadow, but here we are. Like, that <laughs> is something that is a different format, you know? And, yeah. and so, what, like, were there any experiences of, like, it being, like... It being hard to market? Because you're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yes. That was, yeah. it's been, it's been interesting to market, because it's like... It's been a lot of like, well, what genre do you think this is? And people have been saying dance musical pretty firmly. Right. Um, and uh, like, I feel like it's interesting in Chicago, specifically in theater, you don't hear people like, like pimping their shows being like, it's a totally new genre you've never seen before. Right. And I think it's because like, um, like, like traditional theater audiences in Chicago usually just want their theater to look like theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, there's tons of people that like sit somewhere in the middle. But it's hard. To, it's like hard to figure out like exactly where they are and what they're paying attention to and what they're looking for. You know? Yeah. Because I it, think this adept, like in Sarah Shadow, would definitely appeal to people that like opera or like, um, 
like or open-minded with dance like the dance world mm-hmm. is also pretty like rigid on the on the big on the like like grand scale of mm-hmm. things in like what's dance and what's not quite dance mm-hmm. and so that's like also an interesting so we're like we're fighting those ex- two art forms that we're, we put two, two art forms that usually you only see once and you only see or you only see one at a time and only you see traditionally mm-hmm. put together mm-hmm. <laughs> um I'm not trying to because can you remind me where um your last production was? Oh, in uh, uh, Dorian Gray was in yes. a, uh, a basement space at with Compass Creative Dramatics at the four thousand one North Ravenswood building. Yeah, I because I remember we were talking about this then too, which is the idea of where that audience is, where the late night going audience is, and not. Because not just the idea of, like, it being a space that, like, late night audience, but also the idea that there are, there is more audience besides the, like, theater going for the sake of just theater's sake. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think they are, yes, they are out there. It's interesting just, like, seeing what they respond to in terms of, like, oh, this makes sense. Oh, this doesn't quite make sense. Oh, like, oh, where is this located? Blah, 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 you know? It's an interestingly very discerning palette is what I'm is what I I found because like I know Constellation Chicago is a new yeah, yeah. music space that a lot of folks that pay attention to the arts go to and everything they do is very solid and like everything they do is very interesting and it's there is both a serious interest for those that are like very disciplined and specialized but also just like. 19 year olds that are art teens you know what i mean like mm-hmm. and that for me is is like an interesting thing where i think we're able to see that that um audience that like person who wants to go see new art can tell when it when something is thought out and specialized if that makes sense yeah and i think i think in chicago we are, we're very, like, uh, skeptical of new things and, like, things that aren't just, like, appearing in the same spot over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I so I feel like, really, one has to commit to, like, cultivating that audience, not through just, like, one show, but through several shows, through events, mm-hmm. through, like, just thinking about uh, all of the different things that that person or those people would would want to go and do. Right. And who else would they want to run into there yeah. as well, you know? And it's like a it's more of like a multifaceted thing than just like one show, you know. Every it just feels like the things that succeed here have to be so entirely thoughtful. Oh yeah. The the folks that are creating have to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it doesn't it doesn't ever leave its own bubble, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's something that I've definitely found. What a day, huh? Well, yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting, like the audience like when you are are presenting a new work that's like very like daring in front of like a new audience um then and watching like being being like watching them show up and be a little bit like unsure like what am i gonna see and then after the show when they're all like oh my god yes and they're like all really excited that's really interesting Mm. um like because then it's like well what are those gonna people gonna go out and do in the world now that they know this is this, this this exists, yeah, you know, and like what is that converting 
converting the other people that are like, well, what is this? What? What's happening? Yeah. To then, it, like, make that leap and go and see it and then have that reaction that those other people were having, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting for folks that are making art that are trying to make forward-looking art. Uh, there's a level of knowing that they... that. And I like the idea of saying we that uh, want to radicalize folks to something that maybe they're not used to seeing, but not in a way that it's like, but in a way that it's like we can experience more out of our art, you know? Yeah, I think maybe we should all start rejecting those stupid things about capitalism that we... Or, like, like the things of, like, Hollywood has taught us about, like, mm-hmm. how to market a show, how to make it easy to digest... Like, maybe that's, maybe even though it's harder to do things that are, like, riskier and not as uh, easily defined, maybe that's what people really want. (laughs) We actually have this conversation with um, Opera on Tap Chicago of, um, like, the kind of the, the, the thing in opera to do in, like, the 90s and the early 2000s to make opera accessible was to do, was to perform English translations. And so that was, like, that was how people... That was how companies were getting people to come to operas. Was like, hey, come to this thing, and guess what? It's not even in Italian. Like, mm-hmm. you'll be able to understand everything everybody says. And I like that. I mean, some companies still do that. Some companies definitely still do that. But, um, and that's their prerogative. Um, but I, I like that a lot of companies, a lot of newer companies, are moving away from that. Mm-hmm. And instead you know being very explicit about the fact that like there will be super titles and we are going to make it very explicit like we're gonna there there will be talkbacks there will be we'll provide information about it Mm -hmm. like making it accessible without affecting the integrity of it yeah by uh, we need to assume our audiences are intelligent Mm -hmm. right well and not even that even if they Let's say that they're not intelligent. We need to... I think that there's something too challenging an audience. Well, I... We all are... Also, we are in the city. And that generally, like, attracts people that are want to be more culturally engaged. And sometimes it's, like, a little bit hard to forget that when I look around at certain programming. Certain places. Yeah. When you're just like, okay, all right. right. (laughs) Well, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, the, you bring up the idea of, like, the capitalist mindset in artistry, and I, I think that the, the that there's a kind of a, it's something that I'm finding in the politi- political landscape, too, is that there's a, a certain level of both recognizing that we need to take care of each other and to not try and profit off of one another, but also the its importance to recognize the individual. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the, what like we were talking with Andre Vasquez about, which is the idea of merging identity politics or the idea of um, making sure that we keep everything diverse. Um, but also the idea of like socialism and like the idea of figuring out like ba- like banding communities together. And I think that that is something that is. You know, because we were talking about it with the idea of progressing artistic tastes. Like, it's something that's very universal is the idea of what what are we 
building you know like what are we working what are we working towards like as we're trying to figure out in our artistry like what things should be artistically like what what do how do we know what we want that to look like uh and are we making sure that that is what we're doing at every stage you know Mm -hmm. yeah i think chicago's great at at like building communities yeah and in the arts we really can't um take that for we can't we we have to embrace that yeah you know because like it it makes it's it's why not all of us are it's why people are less miserable here yeah than in those other cities that, where there's lots of the entertainment industry right people are super miserable in a lot of in like New York and in maybe maybe less New York but like in Los Angeles I feel like people aren't happy there I think mm. New York too it depends on like how how many great people you have around you and but i think like community wise like i know i have friends in the new york scene that often feel like they're just preaching to the choir yeah and they're not really because it's very oversaturated in new york and they're just like so so it's interesting because i that's where i was like an intern when i was like a young Mm -hmm. theater person like about to graduate college i would always be working at like a theater in new york over the summers and there was so much experimental art. I was like so inspired all the time. Um, but it was almost like all of that that stuff was not like it didn't really like rally a community around it. Mm. It felt like a sort of a, a community of like disparate artists like like that were associated and respected each other, but then for some reason like it couldn't all like it couldn't all like come together because everyone was still like al- together but separate. Mm. I don't know. No, it makes a lot. Of, and you know something? It actually. I have a friend that just recently moved to DC and he moved there two years ago or something like that. And I didn't have much experience of of that of that life. But that's such a unique city because you oh, have yeah. so like in the same way that LA has an entertainment oh industry, you have, have the... this giant political machine exactly yes. one of and my friends li- lives there and she's roommates with lots of people that are playing that game yeah and she told me about like the happy hours oh, and like yeah. how it's you really have to get sloshed with your boss yeah <laughs> kind of shit yeah and um and it's not it doesn't even it's not even just in the like because my friend specifically works um in healthcare. kind yeah i don't i'm not entirely sure what he does He's, like, explained it a couple times. I know, and I can't get my head around it, because it's, like... Anyway, sorry, Adam. Um, (laughs) But, like, uh, it's it's just interesting because it is so much... Even in these, like, highly private and not part of... Part of and not part of the government spaces, it's it's also very much that way, too. It's, It's super interesting. But Chicago... I mean, you know, there's... Chicago has its own political issues and, and own things, pieces of the puzzle, but it's not like, excuse me, there isn't an overwhelming industry here. I think that was why it was so scary about the, the thought of, like, the Amazon headquarters being here. It's because, uh. like, that would take over, like, in the same way that it, it took, like, it could have taken over, or it did take over Seattle. Like, um, Is it going to be here? I can't remember. I don't know that there's been, like, a decision A consensus. Yet. But it, it's the thing that's it's it's frightening because there the way in which the city of Chicago is bargaining with Amazon. I almost like 
don't blame Amazon as much. The the I mean there are, uh, there are obvious things wrong with the idea of like a monolithic delivery service that like that's the one that's the only thing we're ever going to use. But like the, the other thing is like the city of Chicago is the one that wrote the idea that wrote the pitch of being like uh, Amazon we're going to pay you your workers taxes. Oh my god! Oh yeah, yeah now they're offering like what? twenty million dollars in tax cuts. For and Amazon that to come here. their laborers, the taxes that those laborers would pay to the city of Chicago will go to Amazon instead. Whoa, that's crazy. They really want those guys to eat at restaurants in the West Loop, don't they? Yeah. Oh, they really do. That's, <laughs> <laughs> they really, that's, yeah. that's literally what they're just like, please, like, like, just like provide jobs for everyone. Yeah. Like, just go out and buy things at restaurants. Right. And we will be the restaurant capital. That's yeah, Chicago's that, secret plan, I think. Right. Yeah, just the, like, They're Guy like, Fieri, Diners, Drives, and Dives, Dives. No, but doesn't Amazon, like, like all those tech companies, like, give everyone, like, free, awesome lunch. So that's not going to work, Chicago. Yeah. And then also, like, a lot of them, some of them are going to go out, but, like, probably, like, a quarter of them. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them are just going to, like, make our condos, our apartments more expensive. That's yeah. the th- that's single-handedly. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, you know, in the same way, and, you know, we only have a few minutes left, but in the same way that, and we didn't even touch on it, but today was the net neutrality vote. And in the same way that, like, it's just a an elected official that gets to sign off on the idea of... Isn't that crazy that they can just, like, a group of five people... Can just sign off on the idea that, yeah, you know, we're going to charge br- different broadband rates for different websites. I know. What are we going to do now that our entire generation has built our all of our careers using the Internet? <laughs> That's what we're so- going to pay ten dollars extra a month each is what we're going to do. To, uh, to Comcast, and then can we go back to like wheat pasting corner <laughs> corners with posters? If anyone is interested in. I've been like pontificating at Facebook today because that's what I do. That's apparently how I think now um, about the you idea. You think of, into a corporation's brain. Yeah. <laughs> what about this? <laughs> what do you all think of Facebook? Um, no, I because there there needs to be more. That's what I, I think there is. Is we need there needs to be more ways that we can communicate our ideas directly yeah besides just facebook which is a weird corporation that we all like type our i think in ideas in i mean it's, it works great and it was it, amazing a couple of years ago yeah but it's getting like more and more like weird yeah ads in the middle of videos in the yeah. middle in the middle of <laughs> the that's middle. just that is oh, just yeah, like yeah, the biggest true. crime you know what if what if like during you you make a seven minute play and in the, in the fourth minute, some guy runs the, on and he's like, look at this you, soap. Yeah. What kind of yogurt do you use? Eat. Do you use? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What kind uh, of yogurt do you use to slather all over your body? <laughs> so anyway, if anyone out there are arts makers, uh, setting up your own server and router for that server, that c- and you can get a router that goes like, 13 kilometers for like a thousand dollars and then a server would just be like setting up a hard drive this is something that i was researching today because like i don't need to be the person that sets this up but like it would be sick as fuck if we just had a city of chicago router you know that like people could just like connect to and it was the thing is the, the the thing is we would have to like 
Because if we put it in our apartment, most of it would go, a lot of it would go into the lake. So we would need to be more centrally located with like our router. Oak Park. Oak, Fo- what is that place? Oak Park is what it's called, right? The Oak end of the Park, green line? Yeah. yeah. That'd be a good spot. Set up a router in Oak Park. Well, it wouldn't I got reach a friend like. In Oak Park. I yeah. Yeah. I'll ask her. Cool. Would it reach, would Oak Park reach like Rogers Park? Is that 13 kilometers? I don't know. Or, um. <laughs> Do we want to let Evanston in? You know, like do no. We got to reach the south side. That would that would just be racist if we didn't do that. Yes. We have a few minutes left, Uh, as you know by now, Olivia. The last thing we do with our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes that's obvious, like uh, letting getting the word out about an upcoming workshop and letting folks know about the last weekend of a show that's been running and doing very well. Otherwise, it could be... Uh, <laughs> that I, thing where you do the plug for them. Well, you know, I want to... <laughs> okay. you know. All right, I got you. I'm ready. Okay, so um, it's yeah. Sarah's shadow. Oh, shit. No, sorry. Siri. <laughs> yeah. Siri was talking. In Sarah's shadow, the Eleanor and Duza story will be running um, this weekend, uh, December 15th and 16th at 8 p.m. And our closing weekend is December 29th and 30th at 8 p.m. at the Prop Theater, 3502 North Elston. Um, uh, I would recommend uh, getting dinner afterwards at Parachute Next Door, a Michelin star restaurant. Ooh. Um, make it a dinner and a play. Um, I also, um, I'm uh, directing a new verse adaptation of King of a King Arthur story, the fall of Camelot portion of the story that will be in Rhino Fest. Cool. Um, that opens January 19th and it'll be every Friday at nine. Um, I'll be uh, releasing auditions for this devised musical in very early January. So you should look on the internet for that and audition for me because i want to see you i want to see all your talent and then um my play mary shelley sees the future is um being produced by three female producers at columbia college um in a production uh by the fierce theater collective um directed by rediscover uh theaters artistic director janet howe and that will be the first three weeks in march cool so yeah those are my things nice um cool well uh are there is there anything that you've been reading or watching tv wise or what are uh listening to music wise lately um i'm trying to think like tv was the last um the new episodes of easy i'm i just started watching that today i really like i'm in one of them i'm in the background really in the episode with the comedians and i know like those comedians are so awesome and i just watched the episode with yeah, comedians. i'm in i'm in the crowd at the bookstore really yeah my friends have all been, been screenshotting and like playing where's olivia <laughs> without i didn't even tell them they just found it yeah, oh my god that's um, good. but i actually really like i love uh, like I love the idea of the first season, but I really like this second season in that how it's like tackling things a little bit more um, intensely. Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm. Th- I just watched, I think three episodes. I watched the one about the open marriage. I watched the one oh, about yeah. the. Com- I watched the one about the side hustle, the with the prostitute and the um, comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and that's then, the one I'm yeah yeah um, and then I, I don't remember oh if you watch the one about burlesque yet that one is so good I haven't I just started the one where it's 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 the story about the brothers who started a brewery oh yeah that part two part well, no part three technically because they had two episodes in right the so I'm one. like I'm a I'm 
like before you came over i like hit pause yeah. <laughs> nice yeah the amazon you haven't seen the show have you no no i watched this show by i watched this show without you, you there's an have, there's an amazon package episode where like people are stealing packages yeah i watched and that one one of my choreographer in sarah shadow this has really actually been happening on her block and she was really? telling me the whole story yeah wow that's and been her- happening in chicago Ukrainian village. That's mm-hmm. where the that's where they're stealing all the packages right now. Really? Wow. Yeah. That actually super doesn't surprise me. I'm so glad I live in a building with a doorman right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> they would yes. definitely steal like anything. I, it would be like a book, so they would like open it and be like, "This is stupid." Yeah. Oh my god. I get a lot of. That's what I. I remember when Amazon was just a bookstore. <laughs> when it, not a bookstore, but like a book where you could like get yeah, used books. Buy, yeah, that's what I just. I still use it for that. Yeah. I do. I do, too. I do, too. Um, cool. Anyway, uh, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If uh, you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. First off, you can head to scopymag.com. That's our website. It's all fresh, spanking new. Um, we've got all kinds of interesting stuff up there. Today's uh, newest thing was uh, we have an article version of our interview with Nat Rosa Madrid. Uh, so definitely one of the coolest people out. in Chicago, honestly. For sure, for sure, she hosts Duro, 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 and um, Fem's Room, and she also does a lot of stuff at for Peach Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a line of fetish wear called Nat Gear. She's cool. As That's fuck. amazing. She's Femme so cool. Minded leather is what it is. Yes. Um, it's very cool. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Otherwise, you can keep up with us on all these social media places. On Facebook, that's Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, iTunes Podcasts, Radio Public. Did I miss one? Mm. I don't think I did. Scopy Mag. S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G is how we spell it. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our donate section. There are a couple ways that you can give. First of all, you can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. Or you can give on a monthly level for as little, where, for as little as $5 a month, you can support our mission of uplifting independent arts, local art, and independent media. Uh, If you're interested in advertising opportunities or supporting us at a higher level, please feel free to email us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep